The PGA of America at its first ever virtual annual meeting in late October named Jim Richardson its 42nd president. As the senior VP of operations for Arizona-based Troon Golf now succeeds Susie Whaley at the helm. Today, Richardson joins the podcast to discuss coming into his new position during these unprecedented times and to break down his goals for the future of the association. I'm Sports Business Journal's Andrew Levin. It's a big week in golf, so let's tee off on this episode of SBJ Unpacks. Jim Richardson is the new president of the PGA of America, which currently has some 29,000 members. Today, he joins us to offer up his vision for the association moving forward. Jim, you were just recently elected, and it is, of course, Masters Week, so thanks for taking the time to do this during what I know is a busy week for you. Yeah, Andrew, I really appreciate it, and thanks for having me on. It is busy, but uh, anything to help promote the game of golf, I'm all for it, so thank you. Absolutely. So, Jim, I'm sure there are listeners in our audience who may be unfamiliar with the vast PGA Professionals Network and its inner workings. So if you would, start by telling us your story. When did you become a member and how did you matriculate your way to this exciting new chapter? Well, like a lot of people in the game, I got started when I was in my youth and learned the game from my father and tagging along with him and played in high school and college. Uh, and then try to progress from there. So the PGA of America is the largest sports organization in the country, made up of almost 29,000 members and associates. They really run the golf courses and operate the facilities around the country. Typically, they're teaching all the lessons at your local country clubs and public golf courses throughout the country. They're involved in hosting all the charity golf events in your community, uh, running junior programs, beginner leagues, getting people really invited into the game and started playing golf and enjoying everything that golf has to offer. So I played as a youth and played competitively in high school and college. From there, I went into the business. I became a assistant golf professional at a resort golf course in my home state at the time in Missouri at uh, the Marriott Cantera Resort at the time in the Lake of the Ozarks area. And from there, they were involved with the Marriott Hotel and Resort uh, Company. And uh, I had about an 18-year career with them, working my way up, became a PGA Class A member, went through the education and the the schooling process that you need to go to be a certified Class A professional. And and that happened for me in in, uh, 1995, where I became a PGA member. Uh, Shortly after that, I got my first head golf professional position and have been involved in managing, operating, or running facilities uh, over the last 25 years. You're stepping into this new role, of course, during a global pandemic. As such, have to imagine unique challenges already have and will continue to present themselves. At the organizational level, Jim, and also the club level, what are some of those COVID-related complexities the PGA of America is having to deal with? Like everyone, we were highly affected earlier this year. In April of 2020, we had over 50% of the golf courses in the United States were closed. All of those that were coming into their normal seasons and a lot of other areas of the country that were in their high tourist area or golf season in the South or out West California and Arizona. So we are highly affected. Really, really proud of a lot of PGA members around the country that were involved. We got together with PGA national staff to create what we call the back to golf document 
And it was working with political officials and health officials around the country to really show that golf could be done in a responsible manner, could be open, could be enjoyed by people, could social distance with everything we were dealing with. At the same point, it got people that they were able to work, uh, jobs uh, remained open, and, and people uh, were able to work at golf courses around the country providing that service to individuals. So it was a responsible way to get golf back on track, uh, most courses open, and state by state, there were different um, political or health guidelines that we had to follow and adhere to, but it was really working with officials in state by state, county by county, city by city, uh, to prove and to show that golf could be done in a very responsible manner. And with that, we've seen a really boom the last few months. Golf uh, up over 20% in July, August, and over 25% in September, comparing it year over year statistically. So we've seen a lot of people that have been introduced to the game and come out for the very first time. We've seen golfers that uh, played the game but have been away from it for a few years come back to golf. Uh, it's really great to see, especially on the junior space and a lot of families that are enjoying golf and all the things and benefits that it has, both from a physical standpoint, but really from a mental standpoint of people being able to get out and participate in a great activity in a sport like golf. So it really hit us hard early in the year, but luckily a lot of people around the country and a lot of golf professionals involved with the game really were able to react and bounce back to get the game back on track. When you all went to the drawing board to develop that plan to prove to the country, really, that golf was safe to play amid a global pandemic, what were some of those innovations and best practices that you all developed to prove it? Well, it was getting a lot of allied associates and partners involved. So we had groups like the Club Managers Association. We had uh, the USGA involved. We had the Golf Course Superintendents Association involved. We were leading that charge. So it was how can we operate with people being safe from normally an individual would come into a golf shop, register and pay at the golf shop counter. A lot of our courses pivoted where people could make their reservations online and pay online, never have to go into the clubhouse or the golf shop if they felt uncomfortable. We switched up some of our procedures on the golf course maintenance side, taking rakes away from bunkers, keeping flagsticks in the hole so you didn't have to remove those utilizing styrofoam cups or PVC piping in the holes so your ball wouldn't go all the way down. You could just pick it up from the top. Taking ball washers and benches out. So again, trying to eliminate touch points before we knew more about COVID and the pandemic. Uh, we had single rider golf cart policies in a lot of states early on. We had manufacturers that worked with us to create uh, safe like plastic dividers that could be in carts where two people could ride but be separated and better protected based on what we knew at the time of COVID. So as the restrictions lifted and we found a little bit more out and worked with the health officials, you know, we were able to ease on some of those. But many golf courses around the country are still utilizing some of those programs in a safe and responsible manner. It's no secret that rounds are up in 2020, as you just indicated. How about lessons? Yeah, really, we're seeing everything, right, from uh, that's touching golf. So rounds are up. Uh, lessons are up. Even even one of our biggest player development programs, PGA Junior League Golf, we had over 50,000 participants, boys and girls, that participated in that program in 2019. And even with the closures and the pandemic and the restrictions on some 
uh, group gatherings, we had roughly 37,000 boys and girls that participated this year. So over the last few months, we've seen that lesson uh, revenue increase. We've seen equipment sales increase as well too. Talking with some of our partners, some of the manufacturers, they're also stating that some of their pre-books for equipment going into next spring are some of the best in a decade. So we're seeing the interest in golf there now, and a lot of people that are interested in continuing to play, which is great for everybody that's involved with the game. New PGA of America President Jim Richardson here today on SBJ Unpacks. Jim, what are your key goals during your time as president? Well, the biggest thing for me is to continue some of the great work we're doing. Um, you know, our mission statement has been the same for our association for over 100 years which is to serve and elevate PGA members and help grow the game. I really think it was written purposefully to have the members at the forefront of that. Because the more that our association can do to develop tools to help our members become better at their jobs and better support them uh, in all the work that they're doing in their local communities, the more they're gonna be able to grow the game. So everything that we can do to drive benefits, drive resources, drive funding, down to our 41 PJ sections and our members throughout the country. It helps them improve their jobs. It's gonna help them grow the game. So that's gonna be the focus uh, for our association and for myself over the next couple of years. Talking a little bit more specifically now, Jim, what are some of those tools that perhaps the PGA of America already is providing that you wanna to continue to foster and then perhaps some new initiatives as well that you might be keeping your eye on? Well, we've had great, uh, great success in the junior space the last few years with the program PGA Junior League Golf, which is a team concept that boys and girls can play on the same team in a scramble type of format as opposed to an individual format. You can uh, substitute out uh, players on the team every three holes. It's a nine-hole match against another team. You know, the kids have jerseys and they're part of the team. It's really great to see that interaction with the kids and and the social skills that it teaches. But we also have programs that we're getting into the same family space uh, with the exact same concept that we're starting to introduce that we're doing some pilot programs too, uh, which has shown some great early success as well, getting all the family members involved uh, playing the game together, uh, an activity that they can then do as a family for a lifetime. We also have done some great things in the DNI space, really trying to be much more welcoming into people from all walks of life into the game. Um, I think of, uh, you know, the Georgia PGA section that's just done a great um, development, the Bobby Jones Golf Course in downtown Atlanta with the Bobby Jones Family Foundation and the work that they're doing there, bring people from inner city Atlanta into the game of golf. And now the new National Links Trust, uh, which is going to be revitalizing the three municipal golf courses in the Washington, D.C. area at East Potomac Park and Langston and Rock Creek Park and all the great work they're gonna do there, offering the game to people from diverse backgrounds in the DC area. So we have to continue on that work and make sure we're inviting people in from backgrounds uh, that traditionally may not have played the game, but, but not only to get in to play the game, but to work in the industry as well too. So we need to continue on those programs. Uh, from our PJ member standpoint, uh, we've started the last year, developed what we call PJ.coach, it's a program that our members can go through, which is the American Development Model. Uh, that's in partnership with a lot of different sports organizations, including the U.S. Olympic Committee. Uh, but a little bit better way to teach individuals the skill set of golf and progress through to make it either at a competitive standpoint 
but just to enjoy it for a game for a lifetime. But what we're able to do with that now is individuals that might be new to the game or maybe somebody relocates and moves to a new area, they're actually able to look up through pga.coach. They're able to look up an instructor or a teacher in their local area who might specialize in beginners or specialize in juniors. And they can reach out and set up an appointment with those individuals. Uh, so we're directly connecting our PGA members that teach and coach to the consumers for the very first time. So some of these initiatives have started out with great success, and we just have to keep that success and that momentum building uh, into 2021. Jim, for the PGA of America, why is it so important to bring in more young people, women, and minorities? Well, it's our mission is to grow the game. So the best way to grow the game is to get more people into it from all walks of life. Uh, it's also important for us to you know, try to make the game look more like society and like the country does. We've got uh, people from you know, every background, every socioeconomic background uh, that are into the game. And it, one of the great things about golf is people that play it are passionate about it and they're linked no matter uh, what their job is, who they work for, their upbringing. Or they just all love and are passionate about the game. So getting people involved is part of our mission. Um, getting people from different backgrounds is part of our mission of growing the game. Um, but also it's good business. I mean, the more people that you can get into the game involved in it means the more people taking lessons, the more people paying for green fees or golf memberships at cult clubs, the more people buying equipment. So the more that we can grow the game from every angle, uh, the better it is for the health of the industry uh, and the health and the welfare of our PGA members that work in the game of golf. New PGA of America President Jim Richardson here today on SBJ Unpacks. Jim, why don't we press forward with some other topics related to the association? First, discuss the role the PGA of America plays during Masters Week, and then do want to seek your thoughts on the decision to go without drive, chip, and putt this year. Uh, well, the Masters is a very unique event and becomes such a you know, worldwide known. You know, normally, that's the kickoff of golf for a lot of the United States in April. Uh, it's obviously very different under the pandemic year. For the first time ever, it's been moved to November, to the fall. It'll be done again without patrons this year, like many sporting events. Uh, PJ has been very fortunate to uh, have a long relationship with Augusta National, and they've utilized our PJ professionals on the rules committee, uh, along with other uh, rules officials as part of the official rules committee for the Masters Tournament. Uh, our individuals have have uh, partnered with them on the drive, chip, and putt initiative. As you stated, there's, that's been the national finals have been hosted at Augusta National, typically the Sunday prior to the Monday practice round, where boys and girls have the opportunity to qualify through that program to actually participate in the finals at Augusta National uh, during the Masters. So uh, we partner with the Masters on that uh, event for juniors. We've been part of their longstanding rules committee. And uh, we look forward to the relationship for years to come. Masters has kind of become a synonymous with golf and major championships, and we're truly happy to be part of it. What have you heard about Masters Week in 2021 and then have to imagine the plan is to bring Drive, Chip, and Pup back then? Yeah, we all hope to. I think everyone, um, no matter what the industry, is looking and trying to uh, determine the best way forward. So we have plans, obviously, to, to get our events, our major championships back online, as you said, more normal, Andrew. 
but also with an eye to having to pivot and make adjustments if we need to uh, based on the best CDC and health guidelines. So we're very hopeful that going into 2021 that those events will start to get back to normal and we'll have spectators and uh, sooner or later full field events. Uh, but for next week at the, or this week at the Masters, uh, it will be much different. Uh, no patrons, uh, there'll be a few um, individuals that are there helping manage the event and running the event, uh, rules officials and others. Uh, so it'll be much different. Uh, and we've seen that already this year. Our PGA Championship in May at Harding Park in San Francisco was the first men's major of the year under the pandemic situation. Uh, kudos to Kerry Haig, our chief championship officer, and our PJ staff and others. Uh, they really pulled off an unbelievable event under the circumstances. And although we didn't have any fans or spectators there, uh, you definitely could still feel the major vibe uh, with the players' comments, uh, with how they spoke to the media, and then with the excitement on Sunday. And I expect it'll be exactly the same uh, this weekend at the Masters. PGA Championship host sites already are set through 2034. As you look at the years to come, what has you particularly excited? Well, I think I'm really excited, obviously, about next year's lineup. Um, I'm trying not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we've got the PGA Championship that is coming back to the Ocean Course at Kew Island Resort, which has had just an unbelievable history since the course opened in 1991. Now, Rory McIlroy won the PGA the last time it was there in 2013. So we're really looking forward to going back there. Uh, we're taking our KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. We haven't had a championship there in a while, so it'd be great to go back to Tulsa at Southern Hills. Uh, that, that golf course has had a storied history as well, too, with major championships. And then next year, we'll be in Atlanta, Georgia in June for the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, which has hosted our PGA Championship before. So three great major venues that have had great history. And those uh, three championships, uh, I'm really looking forward next year to be involved with. And in particular, obviously, we had to postpone the Ryder Cup. We thought that was the best decision for all the stakeholders and players involved. Um, and that will be at Whistling Straits in uh, Kohler, Wisconsin next fall. So uh, I spent quite a bit of time there and lived in Wisconsin and actually worked at the facility uh, during my career. So uh, that'll have some special memories and an opportunity to spend time with special friends back in the state of Wisconsin. So the lineup is pretty strong for our host facilities next year. And we're all looking forward to hopefully those getting back to normal, having the normal spectators and corporate patrons and all the excitement that you hear with the cheers every single time there's a birdie being made. So it should be a great championship year and really looking forward to it. What can you offer us on future host sites? Uh, well, we have several out there of uh, several years, PGA championships, uh, seniors and women. So uh, we're looking forward to all of those. And we have a brand new project as well, too, that we're working with our partners in Frisco, Texas, just north of Dallas. It's uh, going to be the new headquarters for the PGA of America, and we'll be relocating our staff there. We have a great resort partner in Omni Hotels, which is building a 500-plus room hotel with all the amenities, and 36 great holes of golf designed by Gil Hands and Bo Welling uh, with a short 10-hole uh, short course and a uh, world-class practice facility and all the amenities uh, of a world-class resort. And, We'll have several major championships that will be coming to Texas and the Dallas area. They'll be hosted at PGA Frisco in the future. Uh, so we got a great lineup of host facilities. Uh, we got a brand new one coming online in Frisco. And uh, we're really looking forward to all those partnerships and major championships in the future.
How are things going with the relocation and what has that been like navigating that amid the pandemic? Well, it's been a challenge, uh, I think, like every industry has seen, but our staff's done a great job in managing it and uh, being very, very productive and still offering the services and support to our members. Uh, but with the pandemic, uh, we've been under construction there, so the offices aren't open yet. Uh, the golf courses are well under construction, starting to grow in. Our headquarters building is under construction, but not slated to open till January of 2022. The golf courses were open later in 2022. And then the resort, uh, the Omni Resort later in 23. So they're all under construction, but they're moving forward. They're all going as planned. And uh, the progress has uh, been fantastic uh, since we started that project. But luckily for us, it uh, didn't affect staffing and didn't affect people's jobs because during the pandemic was under construction versus operating. So we've started to move some of our staff there already. We have roughly 40 or 50 staff members that are in Frisco. We have others that will be uh, relocating later this year, and then we'll hope to have the majority of our staff there when the building opens in January of 2022. Jim, you mentioned the decision to postpone the Ryder Cup until 2021. Players' desire to have fans in attendance was really a driving force for that decision, correct? That said, where do things stand on the prospect of fans in 2021? Because I have to imagine the PGA Tour starting to dip its toes in the water is encouraging for you all, not to mention the news regarding preliminary testing of Pfizer's vaccine. Yeah, all of those are very positive, I think, for sports and just business in general, and everyone getting their lives uh, to look a little bit more normal. But uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, we did have to postpone the Ryder Cup. The really big factors there were our conversations and work with uh, the officials at the Kohler Company, who are the host and the local Wisconsin political officials and health officials in that area. And all the moving parts and the really trying to come together as a group on what was gonna be the best decision uh, in the interest of all involved. The players, their spouses and families, those that traditionally travel from overseas for the Ryder Cup, and obviously all those that are working and involved with the event in Wisconsin and at Whistling Straits. Although the players' comments, we def definitely listened to them. We wanted to make sure that they were part of the process. We wanted to make sure we were making the best decision for everyone involved from a health standpoint. And although we would have loved to host it in September as planned, we did think the best opportunity to have a Ryder Cup under as close to normal circumstances as possible would be postpone it until 2021. And the fans are just such a big part of the Ryder Cup. Not that they're not a big part of our other championships, but having the home crowd cheering on the team of 12 and Captain Stricker and the group and, and all the history that's come with the Ryder Cup, the fans really do play an integral part in that event. So we wanted to also make sure that we had an opportunity to hopefully have fans at that event. And by postponing it till September of 21, uh, we hope we accomplished that. Jim, I've got a couple more quick hitters for you before I let you go today. First, not sure how many of our listeners know this, but PGA of America membership generally requires one to pass a player ability test. What are your thoughts on the PAT and the bar it sets? And then could lowering it help to bring in new members? Yeah, I think the PAT or player's ability test is an integral part of becoming a PGA member. I think that's one of the things that separates us about other organizations that are involved with golf. Really proves that our PGA members are men and women that are involved in the game have that 
playing ability along with the business ability and the teaching and coaching ability. So they are truly experts in those areas of the game. So if you're getting uh, introduced and you're new to the game, or if you have a son or daughter you're introducing to the game, you know, you can have confidence to that PGA member that you're utilizing for teaching and coaching, for utilizing to recommend equipment for you, for utilizing their expertise to point you in the right direction of a certain player development program or a league that they have at that golf course. You can be assured that you're hearing from an expert. So we've looked at the PAT at different times on you know, modifying it in one way, shape, or form. Um, but the vast majority of our leaders truly believe that that PAT sets us apart from other organizations involved with golf. I have a feeling that it's always going to be a part of becoming a PGA member. Another notable development, Jim, to come out of that recent annual meeting, that being Tim Rosefort becoming the first journalist to be awarded honorary membership. Is this something you plan to continue during your time as president? Well, that's a really special designation. We've only had 11 individuals that have been honored as honorary PGA members. And Tim Rosefort is the first member of the media that's uh, been designated with that honor. So it's something that we do look at and review each year, uh, but we want to make sure that that still and remains a very, very special honor. Tim has been a great friend to the golf world at large for many years and truly a good friend to many PGA members out of his way to you know, either write or promote those throughout the country that he runs into. Tim was passionate about playing the game and always enjoyed it and uh, was someone that really, really promoted not only our association, not only our major championships, but also our PGA members at large. Uh, so happy that he that we were able to bestow that upon him. I uh, know what that meant to him. And it's something that we'll obviously look at in the future as well too. Uh, but with only 11 other individuals, it's a very, very special designation. And uh, I'm pretty sure that it will always stay that way. All right, Jim, before I let you go here today, I'm gonna put you on the spot and I will let you know on the front end that I had on Breeders' Cup Senior Vice President of Marketing, Justin McDonald on Friday for the podcast. He gave us a winner for the Classic. And so, Jim, I am going to ask you on Sunday afternoon, who's going to be donning the green jacket? Well, I've said this now for a few weeks when people have asked me. Uh, I think Rory McIlroy is due, and I think he'll finally get his Masters this year. Well, sounds good to me, Jim, and we will hold you to that. New PGA of America, President Jim Richardson. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today on SBJ on PAX. We hope you have a great rest of your day. I appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks for having me on.